King's kids, second grade on down, come forward today. I've got to try, uh, come on, here, align you, <coughs> align you up right here. Um, there's a nice little line, I, I want to try a magic trick on you if that's okay. Yeah. Line up right here, right here. C you're going to King's kids with him, so he's, he's waiting for me to finish. Well, come on, well, you're tight. I need like one line, and I don't want anybody cheating. Yeah. One <coughs> line, here, you come over, put you right in the middle, that'd be nice. And you scoot over here, and you come over here. Are you guys attached to the hip today? <laughs> all right, all right. Wait, come forward a little bit. You gotta face me. Face me. Don't worry about him. Here, don't pay any attention. To, okay, you guys ready? Here, it's real. Want to feel that? Don't bite it. Break your teeth. Just a little. It's got a Bible verse on it. Actually, it's kind of neat. Coins got stuff on the back. Is this from Michael? Did you give this one to me? Is that why I got this little one? Yeah. Ecclesiastes. <coughs> so, what I'm going to try to do, oh man, it makes a lot of noise. It's going to be hard to hide it in my hand if I hit on my ring. Here. Let's you ready? So, keep a really close eye on it. Think I still have it? Yes, you do. All right, yeah, still there. What about you? Watch, it's moving fast. You're not even looking at the coin. You're looking at me. You're afraid I'm going to hit you. I'm not going to hit you. Come on, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Wait, where'd it go? You eated it. Oh, oh you tricked you me. It. Okay, okay. She is. Okay, you're dismissed. They're, they're on top of it. So, yeah. Couldn't outdo her. Too many kids. That works with one kid. And you've got one short kid. You've got to go right over their head. Didn't, didn't pull it off. Um, sheesh. i got to keep working on that. Ethan, you're going to have to do better than that. You got anything better than that? King, yeah, you're out of here. I saw it. I saw it. You ever thought about putting a Fitbit on her? <laughs> She's at 20,000 steps. It's 10 a.m. <laughs> right on, right on. Turn in your Bibles with us. We are on Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. This tan, handsome man here is Ethan. Got a lot of sun on you. Holy moly. Look at that. Yeah, we're not related. <laughs> You're reading verses 14 through 19, is that correct? Yep. All right, so everybody follow along with Ethan. Philippians 4, 14. Go ahead. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the earlier days of my acquaintance with the gospel, when I, sent, when I was set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet the needs of all will meet all the needs according to the riches 
of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Perspective matters a lot in life, uh, more than you think. I mean, you know, the perspective of the right kid, it's easy to trick them. But when you can see things from another angle, when you're behind, you see things differently. Um, how do you see things through this perspective, right? Things, things are different, different rose-colored glasses. We even use that, that phrase, um, how does that help change your perspective, right? Oh, yeah, it's good. I can. What happens when you're at the other end? The way we see life changes all of the time. You find that in your yard. I have found these in the yard before, too. <clears throat> like, would you drink that, John Rose? No, I shouldn't ask you. You'll drink anything. Uh, you know, a normal person is not going to find a... You're like, that's, that looks like juice but it's not a juice bottle. That's obviously a water bottle with the label taken off. Um, So you're evaluating, you're looking at things from your own perspective. I'm probably the only one in here not afraid to drink it because I made it. One drop of food coloring and a water bottle. Just one. I saw it. I know it. I'm not afraid of it. Your perspective changes in every area of life. And you all see things from a unique perspective. And when you know what has gone into something, you understand it. You're not afraid of it. When something happens and you don't know what's going on, you don't know how the magician pulled that trick off because you're little, you're short, you weren't paying attention. Some people freak out. And in today's letter, Paul is giving us his perspective. And he wants it to be our perspective. He's going to get there in verse 19. This is the way he wants you to see everything in life. That you can have all of God's riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's the proper perspective. Not to just see all of your needs, but to push through your needs gain a bigger perspective and understanding of who God is. So the title for today's message, this passage of Scripture, is God's glory in Jesus. The Bible talks a lot about God's glory. As we go through this passage, what I want to do first is is quickly go through each verse and kind of get an idea out of it. But then I want to back up And come uh, to verses 17 and 19 and look at those very specifically. So first we're going to go through all of them, fill in some blanks rather quickly, talk about each one of these verses on its own, but then uh, circle back around, talk about the two verses that I think uh, capture Paul's, not just Paul's perspective, but Paul's heart. So Philippians 4, verse 14 Right after he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So here's what Paul expects. Verse 14, he expects us 
to share with people in their afflictions. Uh, that's, that's easy to do. When you see a need, meet it. But he doesn't just say share with uh, money. Share with a profile picture change. Don't just share with your mouth. Don't just pray that things go better. He really expects us to share in people's grief, so empathize, sympathize, but then do something about it. You can do this through prayer, yes. You can do it when people are grieving. You can do it with sympathy. You can do it with money. A lot of people in their grief, in their affliction, mostly I think they want your time. You don't need to fix everything, but you do need to be with people. You need to be present. Have you ever gotten that from somebody? They, they say they really care, and then they bolt. They say they're there for you, but then they're not. Uh, these people, these Philippians, this church in Philippi, heard that Paul had an affliction, and they sent somebody with money to help him. How many times? I don't know, but he says multiple times. Verse 15, and you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you, you alone. At this point in his ministry, Paul has probably started close to a dozen different churches over the course of a couple of years. So not only has he started a lot of churches, trained a lot of elders and deacons but he's also spent a lot of time in all of these churches and he travels from macedonia he comes over he's in philippi he leaves philippi and he immediately encounters some trouble at the next city over and the philippians immediately send him help people and money so share personally write this down even if you're the only one Share personally, even if you are the only one. And the previous blank was in their afflictions. Share with people in their afflictions. Verse 15, share personally, even if you are the only one. Interesting fact about generous people. Truly generous people don't look around and see who else is being generous. They see a need and they try to meet it. And they don't evaluate what they are doing with other, other people are doing. They do the best that they can with what they have, with what the need is. Be generous, even if nobody else is. That's a good lesson to teach your kids at school. When somebody falls, even if nobody else helps them up, you help them up. When the teacher drops everything, even if nobody steps up to help the teacher clean up, you step up. I expect you to be like Jesus and go out of your way to help people in their moment of need, even if nobody else helps. But I'd be embarrassed. I'm an introvert. I'm shy. All those excuses are out the window. But I'm the toughest guy. I'm the bravest guy. I'm the star athlete. I can't. All those excuses out the window. If you see a need, even a simple need, step up. Even if nobody else is helping, even if you do it all alone. So Paul is praising this church in Philippi for stepping up and helping him, and they never heard anybody else helping him. They didn't know how. They just made it up. How cool is that? 
There wasn't a network they could tap into. We're tapping into Feed the Neighborhood. Somebody else has already started that. How did that get started? Somebody saw a need, probably a teacher or some parents who saw some kids show up to school with nothing but their shirt on their back. And they stepped up and they met a need. And it has snowballed and has and more people have joined. And now that more people see the need, it's easier. But what if you're the only one? Meet the need. Just meet the need. Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So write this down. Give and serve locally and repeatedly towards real needs. Towards real needs. Thessalonica was almost the next town over from Philippi, so they're not that far away. And yet, they sent a gift from their church to where Paul was more than once. That requires knowing what Paul is going through. That requires talking about helping, and it requires sending somebody. There's no Pony Express. There's no Wells Fargo. There's no stagecoach. If you wanted to send mail or money, you had to literally put it in your pocket and go deliver it. There, there was not a, a postal system. There wasn't of course, there was no cash app, right? You're like, I'm just help Paul. Done. Get your money instantly around the world. No, uh, it took a real sacrifice. So somebody had to stop working and take it to Paul. So they're not only are they giving him money, they're not making money while they're gone. Or somebody had to leave their kids with their sister. So they're not taking care of their own kids so they can go take care of somebody else. And so there's a lot of networking. There's a lot of planning that goes on. When you really help people, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. It takes time. But make sure you're making those sacrifices towards real needs. Paul had real needs. He needed food. He needed money for shelter. Uh, and he was either working for it or it was given to him. He's not traveling around with his life savings. He's, he's living day to day on the generosity of other people. But here's the thing. Why was Paul doing that? He was doing that to share Jesus with people. He was trying to give them their deepest spiritual awakening. Show them that their biggest need in life was Jesus. So Paul's focusing on spiritual needs. And other people are focusing on Paul's physical needs so that he can keep sharing about Jesus. That is a beautiful picture we have. Read verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. This is the right perspective. Uh, because, and, and I see Paul's humility rising up again. I'm not seeking gifts from you guys. What I'm really seeking for is something that profits you in your account. So your notes for verse 17, write this down. Paul is interested in growing people, not growing bank accounts. He's not in this for the money. He's not in this for the fame. And he's not really in this for other people to grow financially. 
but spiritually. We're going to explain this verse a little deep, more deeply in a minute. Verse 18. But I have received everything in full, so I've gotten all the gifts that you've sent me, and I have an abundance. I am amply, fully supplied, having received most recently from a guy named Epaphroditus what you sent. And it was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That caught my attention. What do you mean well-pleasing to God? What about well-pleasing to you, Paul? Did you like it? We also sent some candy peanuts from Lydia's house. Did you get the, like, whatever they sent, he says, I got it, and God loved it. See how he takes just everyday normal spiritual, er, everyday normal things and turns them into a spiritual conversation? And it was a fragrant aroma pleasing to God. Verse 18, write this down. We need to learn to give globally because he's not in the next city over anymore. He is in Rome. He is a long trip away. So give they're giving locally. Now they're giving globally. They're supporting with a volunteer. They sent somebody from their church all the way to Rome to make sure Paul got the gift, and that guy ends up staying with Paul for an extended amount of time. Side note, he almost dies, but that's okay. He recovers. He makes it. He gets to bring. He's the guy who brought this letter back to Philippi. Paul wrote a letter, put it in Epaphroditus's hands. Go home. Go home. Good. There's one more blank there. Give globally. Support volunteers. Support people who are willing to go. But then think about this. Send yourself. You go. Short term, long term, mid term. Go across the street. Go across the office. Go across the playground. Go across the room. Go across. Go. Don't just pray that God will send somebody. Pray that God will send you. Let him send you. Don't be afraid. Will he send some people around the world? Yes. Everybody? No. Because those who stay behind help support those who God sends the furthest. There's responsibility there. We support volunteers, but be open. Be open to going. Verse 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I just get this picture of you can't outgive God. <laughs> no matter how much you try, you can't outgive him. Like you, they made a sacrifice. It was a fragrant, well pleasing offering to Paul, to God, but you can't really outgive God because God's going to supply all of your needs. And I see a spiritual supply chain in verse 19 where we have a need, God meets it through his riches which are part of his glory, which is all found in Jesus. So write down the spiritual supply chain. Needs, riches, glory, Jesus. That's how it works. At least that's how we see it. That, here we go. That's our perspective of life. We go through life, we have needs. We need God to meet those needs through his riches. Those riches are part of who he is, his gloriousness. 
And as we get to know how glorious and great God is, we are drawing closer and closer to the most glorious thing of all. That's Jesus. See how that works? Why does God allow pain and suffering? So you have needs. And you'll look to God to meet those needs. And you'll get to know more about God and His glory. And that is all perfectly found in His Son, Jesus. Why does God allow death? To scare your socks off so you realize you have a big need and you come to God and he relieves your fears and gives you peace. As you get to know he is gracious and kind, to die is gain because I gain the presence of Jesus forever. See the transition here. This is the way we live and process most everything in life and that's our human perspective. Needs, riches, glory Jesus and it's a good thing my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus I want to talk more about that but I need to back up to verse 17 so here's where I'm going out of order okay don't hurt me we're gonna do we're gonna do verse 19 again but I'm excited to get to verse 19 in fact Eric I really want to get to verse 19 but I need to do verse 17 because there, there's a little bit here we need to understand about Christianity. <clears throat> verse 17 says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account or your benefit. That's what we need to talk about, that phrase. What is he talking about? Profit which increases to our account. Um, there are two different accounts of righteousness. This is in your notes. There are two different ways to account for righteousness. The first one, the first kind of righteousness we need to talk about is the righteousness of salvation. You cannot be saved. You cannot be right with God on your own. Paul talks about this to the Philippians. You might make a note there. Did I put it in the notes? Philippians 3.9. Yeah, good. Philippians 3, 9, Paul says very clearly, not a righteousness of my own, but right, I am right because God says I'm right. He declares me right because of my faith. Salvation or being right with God is a matter of faith. You believe Jesus is who he says he is. You believe Jesus is who the Bible says he is. You believe Jesus is who the church has historically taught that Jesus is. He's the only begotten Son of God, sent from heaven, born fully God and fully humanity. He is the human you could never be. You owe God your life because you've sinned. You've lied. You've cheated. You've stolen. You've lusted. You've coveted. You've broken all the commandments eventually. You're in trouble with God. God is holy and righteous. Do you remember that? We are not. So how can we be right with God? God is holy. We are not. Jesus is our only hope. Through his death on the cross, he paid for us being wrong so that he could then declare us right. But you need to believe that he died in your place. You need to accept him as your savior and you need to wrap your life around him. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
Christ is the center of your life, not a piece of your life, not your homeboy, not just your friend, but your Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, all these titles that the Bible ascribes to Him. And all the glory of God is in Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. Your account of salvation before God, that He accounts to you for righteousness, is holy of Jesus. But that's not the only thing He accounts to you. But here's the second. Righteousness of works. Write that down. So we are right with God based upon faith and faith alone. We do not work to be right with God. But once you are right with God, God expects good works to come out of you. God is keeping track of the good works that come out of your life. God is keeping track of the good that you do as a Christian. You're already right with God. You already are going to inherit heaven. You're already born again. You're already indwelt with the Spirit. You are saved. He's not counting your good works so that they will outweigh your bad works. That will never happen. God is keeping track of the good that we do because we are already right with Him. He's keeping track of the good that comes out of our righteous lives to determine how generous He is going to be with you in eternity. And there are so many parables about this. I taught one of them at camp. It's crazy. In the parable of the talents, the nobleman goes away. He leaves thousands of dollars with his servants. And when the, the nobleman comes back, he reckons accounts. One guy took five talents of money and turned it into ten. Turned it into like a million dollars. It was a lot of money. And in return, the generous nobleman in this parable, who is Jesus, who represents God, God coming back and settling all things, the nobleman gives cities away for the little bit of money that was handled well by those who believed in him. God is keeping track of our righteousness in this life. And it's not about us. It's about him deciding how generous he is going to be with you in eternity. Now, if you do nothing right in this life but accept Jesus and then you die, thief on the cross, you're inheriting eternal life. The generosity of God at the lowest level is mind-blowing. He is lavishly pouring blessings upon people who deserve nothing. But it should change the way we think about how we handle If We live longer than a hot minute after being born again. How generous are you being in this life? How much of God's righteousness is flowing out through you and becoming righteous works to other people. He's tracking that. Because in the teachings of Jesus, there are responsibilities. There are things to be done in eternity. 
There will be some people in charge of great things and some people in charge of small things. There's a variety of stations and positions and responsibilities in heaven with God forever. It's not boring because it's the reunion of heaven on earth. It's the recreation of Genesis 1 and 2. This earth will be the way it is intended by God. And we are supposed to flourish it, cultivate it, grow it, and learn more and more with God in it. It's a beautiful. Revelation 21, 22 goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. And there's going to be work to do. We were built for work. There was work long before there was the curse. Adam and Eve had jobs to do, to walk with God and to administer His creation. Work it, tend it, flourish it. We're getting back to that. How is God going to divvy up the jobs in eternity? Very generously. But based upon the way we live this life. So let me be really clear before I move on here. This profiting to your account is not about earning heaven. No. It's about God keeping track of your generosity and your works of righteousness in this life so he can determine how much more and more and more of himself and his riches he can lavish on you forever. And whoever gets the least is going to praise God forever. Whoever gets the smallest portion has all the riches of heaven because you have Jesus. So it's not, a, it's not a comparison show. You won't be in heaven looking over your shoulder like, dang, Travis got more. Man, Eric's got more. Oh, Sherry's got a nicer. Oh, Julie's got. No, there's, there's none of that in heaven. You're going to be so blown away by the generosity God has had towards you. There won't be no weeping, <laughs> no coveting. That, that's not what it's about. We will all praise God for how generous he is to us way beyond what we ever deserve. He's going to use it to determine his own generosity, and that should change the way you read the parables, my friends. As you're in your daily Bible reading, as we get through closer and closer to that this year, when you get into the New Testament, start, stop looking at yourself, looking for yourself in the parables, and look for God. Look for God and how he reacts to people. It is mind-blowing. Now 19. All that generosity... Paul's heart for wanting not to receive gifts, but wanting to see other people profit in their relationships with God. He says, I've received everything. I have an abundance. I'm amply supplied. And it was well-pleasing to God. In verse 19, he turns it into a blessing because you cannot outbless Paul. Write this down. Don't even try to outbless Paul. He'll have none of it. He will not let you. He won't. He says, my God, this is such playground talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, he's not, oh, you guys are such a blessing. You're so awesome. It's not about you. Let me tell you about my dad, <laughs> right? Well, my dad is the principal. <laughs> has, that, has that ever happened to you, man? Have you ever had to throw those words out on the playground? Well, my dad is the owner. Dave, did you ever throw that down when your dad was the boss? You did. You took advantage of that? Well, my dad is the boss right on. Like, oh, man. You just like, it's like, it's the ultimate Trump, right? You're just like, like, 
whatever, kid. Pow! <laughs> I'm not dealing with your dad. I'm dealing with you. And then they just take, take yeah, no. Nah. Paul is like, okay, thank you. Thank you for being generous to me. Let me tell you about my dad. Such playground talk. Don't try to outbless him. He says in verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs. Because Paul doesn't have enough to pay them back, right? It was a grace gift. He's spending it. He's using it. He doesn't have anything, any way to pay them back. So he's not even trying. Hey, when people bless you, just accept it. You don't have to pay it back. Accept it. My God shall supply all your needs. How? According to his riches. Where are they? In his glory. What is that? It's in Christ Jesus. And so there's the supply chain. We talked about that already, right? Needs, riches, glory, Jesus. And your next blank, I want you to reverse those. I want you to write Jesus, glory, riches, needs. Because needs, riches, glory, Jesus is the way sinners come to God. It's the way immature people come to God. And we all have these moments where our needs are huge. Our suffering and our pain is immense. And we come to God with real, felt needs. Our needs are realized according to his riches. We get a glimpse of his goodness and his glory, and we praise God through Jesus. But I want my heart to change. I want to be the kind of person who is in Jesus at the start. I want to start there. I want to stay there. I don't want to drift from there. Jesus helps me understand all the glories of God. Jesus gives me the right perspective. So if I am right with Jesus, I am in the glories of God. I understand who God is. And I'm, I'm seeing all the millions of ways he's already richly blessed my life. My perspective on my needs is going to change. And they're going to be lowercase. It's not a typo. They're going to be smaller and smaller and smaller. The things that I consider to be needs are going to slowly fade away. As I gain the proper understanding that Jesus first, Jesus helps me understand all the riches of the glories of God. And my needs, they stand no chance against Jesus. He meets them all. He can supply anything he wants at any moment of my life. Another way to state, to state that is position, purpose, perspective, and then purpose number two, because I couldn't think of a clever another P word. But I usually live that backwards, you know? I, I, I take my purpose and I make that the focal point or my starting point for my prayers, my, my lowercase purpose, which is always a secondary purpose. The purpose for all things is the glory of God. 
But I get hung up on my purpose. I get hung up on what's right in front of me, my pain, my suffering. I think I have a really big need, and it becomes my focal point. But I need to, I need to operate from the right order. Jesus first. I need to remember my position in him. He, here's Paul again, in Christ Jesus. That is a really important word, in. My position in. When I remember where I am and who God says I am, it becomes purpose number two. The pains and struggles of life actually do reduce. Or should I say, because of the greatness and the grandeur and the majesty of God, my pains, I have the right perspective, they're actually the size they are supposed to be, which is, whoop, tiny. That's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people, to say that your cancer diagnosis is a small problem. To say that you're a rebellious child, that's a small problem. To say that your loss of a job or a career is a small problem. I don't mean it looks small, but I have stepped back. And when I hang out with Jesus, everything looks small. Because I have what I need. I'm in the right place. I understand the greater purpose for all things, and I have a proper perspective. God's perspective. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know God. When you know God, you're with God, you're in Christ, your perspective on everything will change. That's the change that God wants for you. Not to change all these circumstances. God doesn't want to fix everything in your life. Because if God fixed everything in your life, you probably stop coming to him and depending upon him. And you might neglect him. You might take him for granted. You might make yourself out to be God. That's idolatry. Or make something else to be your God. That's not good. Why does God allow terrible things on planet Earth to remind you you need him? And he'll fix it eventually. The pain and the suffering does not keep us from faith in Jesus as our Savior. Position, purpose, perspective. Here's one more way to write that down. Provider, presence, produce, pain. When I remember that Jesus is my great provider of all things that I need, that I am in Him, not only do I get to experience the glory of God and understand the greater purpose for all things, but I actually have His presence. And when I have His presence, (laughs) my perspective is changed. I see His riches all around me. He can produce in me whatever He needs. He can produce from this earth whatever he needs to meet. My secondary purpose, my earthly needs, or even remove my pain. We need to learn to live like this. Paul says, my God 
shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Um, Philippians 4.13 In all these things of life, I have strength. Where's my strength? In the one... My strength is in the one. So it's not even my strength. I have it, but it's in the one who strengthens me. That's what he's saying again in verse 19. He'll meet your needs, his riches, in glory, in Christ Jesus. Are you in him? Positionally, are you in Jesus this morning? That's the question. That's the question you only you can answer. I can't answer that even if I'm looking at your life from the outside. I, I don't know the status of your heart. I might be able to guess because I've got a picture of the way you've been living, how you've been living, how you've been interacting with other people, how you've interacted with me, how you've given, how you've served. I might have an idea of where your heart is, but at this moment right now, are you living based upon all the needs that are in your life or are you living out your life from a position of security, of faith, and trust in Jesus. That's a big difference, isn't it? I'm living out of Him, or I'm living very needy. How many of you would enjoy living with a very needy person? Come on. Very needy. Very needy people are pathetic. when they rely on other people. Very needy people need Jesus. He loves needy people. If we express that our greatest need is Him, He'll meet that need. He dwells with us. He abides with us. He comforts us. He leads us. He surrounds us with other Christians. He brings His Word to life when we read it. The presence of Jesus is literally all you need. I'm, I'm challenging you to talk about that in small group this week. If I say Jesus is all you need, period, what's your pushback? Well, I need food. Okay, let me run with that. Why do you need food? So I don't die. What's wrong with dying? I don't want to die. <laughs> um, no, no, I didn't ask what you wanted. I ask why you, why are you, I'm serious here. The only thing you really need to live forever, to find peace with God, is Jesus. Even if you stop breathing right this second, Eric, you have all you need. Is that true? I'm ready to die. I'm ready to drop dead right now. I don't want to. I'm going to have lunch. I'm not ushering it in. I'm not hastening it by running red light or destroying myself with anything. I'm not hastening. I'm trying to be careful. I'm trying to let God be in charge of that. He could take me out with a two-by-four any day he wants or an Enid driver because that's probably pretty likely. But really, in your heart of hearts right now, what's your position with Jesus? Stand with me.
Let's pray about that. God, we come to you right now with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. We ask you to help us think deeply for just a second before we sing. Before we worship you one more time, before we go our separate ways, before we go to be with our families, before we go to eat, before we go to work, help us right now, quietly, to evaluate where are we? Are we living very needy lives today? Are we living very content in Jesus today? God, show us. Show us where we need to not do better. Show us where we need to love you and appreciate you more. Change our hearts before you change our lives. Because then it'll be easy. It'll be so easy to change everything for somebody that we love and cherish. So God, help us to not be a people that, that just keeps trying to do good works and trying to live uh, upright and moral lives. Help us to be a people who love you so much that we don't want to stray away from righteous living. That there would be no, no temptation that can draw us away from Jesus. Show us where we are in our neediness and our perspective with our position in Jesus. Show us where we need to move today and show us how we can stay there because we all have moments of weakness, but you are a God of much grace who is always willing to bring us back home, always willing to throw the party and show us the riches of your glory. If you're here today and you've never made that choice or decision to follow Jesus, we'd love to talk with you after the service. If at any point in any of our services you feel called to pray more, to sacrifice more, see me, see us, find somebody you already know, or come pull me out of a crowd, we would love to talk with you about spiritual things. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we say thank you for Jesus giving us a place to go, a place to find purpose, a place to find meaning in the middle of a world that is full of pain and suffering and chaos. You give us somebody to trust and somebody to look forward to. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.